Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings 5. We were there last Sunday evening. 2 Kings 5. The title of our message tonight is Stifling Self-Importance, a.k.a. getting over yourself. <laughs> Amen. 2 Kings chapter 5. If you were here last week, you know that this is a story about a soldier who met God. And I would say probably in the most unusual way, a way he never expected. And even though it's many, many years ago, it's still contemporary for us today. Because one of the biggest problems we have in life is ourselves. Getting beyond ourselves. And so from this story about this man of, with a military life, we see what was true then is true now. There are so many inner barriers that keep us from genuinely facing our problems and finding the right way to get better. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 5, Second Kings. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but notice the last phrase, but he was a leper. We're not going to spend a lot of time here tonight. We did that last week, but there are actually about four things we learned about Naaman in verse 1. Number one, he was a captain of Syrian's army. He wasn't just a general, he was a man. There was no one higher in rank than Naaman was. We also find out in verse 1, he was a very powerful man. A very powerful man. The third thing is we find out that he was successful in battle. Now, what, what strikes me as interesting, uh, the Bible says there in verse 1, because by him, by Naaman, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now, for the most part, Syria was the enemy. But guess who God raises up? Who he wants to. He puts down who he wants to. But God had blessed Naaman and had allowed Naaman to bring deliverance unto Syria. So he was successful, he was a mighty man, but the last thing we learn, he had leprosy. And how many know he would have traded everything else to get rid of the leprosy? Then we saw in verses 2 and 3 last week, we're not going to read them again, there's a slave girl that had been captured throughout the years of their raiding of Israel, and she told Naaman's wife, was her mistress, if you will, her boss, said, hey, I wish that he would be in Israel. There's a man there that could bring healing to my master's husband. Now, I did mention this last week in passing. I want to say it again. If you study Elisha's life, he never healed anyone of leprosy before this. And yet this young girl realized, or young lady, whatever the case may have been, that Elisha, she doesn't name him at, the, at that point yet, that's who she's talking about, could cure the leprosy. 
So in verses 4 and 5, Naaman at least begins to seek help. Uh, because of his position, uh, he has, I think, what you would say, influence uh, with the king. And so he goes to the king to ask for help. And he tells him, I've heard about a man in Samaria. And so the king, again, uh, honoring what Naaman had told him, wrote a letter uh, to the king of Israel, who happened to be Jehoram at that time, uh, to tell him about the situation. And in verse 7 of chapter 5 of Second Kings, we see Jehoram's reaction. What do you mean? Now, think this, think about this. At least for a while, there had been a relatively peace between Syria and the northern uh, tribe of Israel, uh, the, the top half of the country after the split, if you will. And right away, Jehoram believed that uh, Ben-Hadad was trying to pick a fight. I mean, come on. You're asking me to heal somebody of leprosy? I mean, nobody can do that. And, of course, Jehoram said, if, if I don't do that, if I don't, you know, if I'm, since I'm not able, surely there'll be a retaliation. This is the king of Syria writing me with a request. So that was Jehoram's reaction. But in verse 8, we see Elisha's reaction. So when Elisha hears about the letter the king had received, he sends word back to the king, and he says, Send Naaman to me. If you were here last week, and you probably remember the story from even other times you've read it, Naaman goes to Elisha, and when he gets there, Elisha doesn't even come out. He just sent out a message to Naaman. And then in verse 10, he gives some very strange instructions. Go and wash in the river Jordan seven times. Go wash in the river Jordan seven times. Don't miss the scene. This slave girl gives the news to Naaman's wife, who then tells Naaman, who goes to the king, there is a man in Israel can cure your leprosy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, wow, I want to meet that man. I want to meet that man. Elisha doesn't even come out. And he said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Last week in verse 11, we found out what Naaman expected. In his mind, he already had it figured out. How many of you ever do that before? Huh? I'm asking God to work, and here's how he's going to do it, right? I, I, you know, I want him to help me, but I want, I want to tell him how to do it, or at least how I want to see it done. So Naaman in his mind is thinking, you know what? Surely, when Elisha realizes who it is, he'll come out, and he'll be so excited to meet me, He'll come out, and he'll stand before me, and he'll call upon the name of the Lord. 
And somehow he'll wave his hand over that leprosy, and I will be miraculously healed. Now, by the way, whether it's Naaman or us, you know, you know what's behind all of that? An enormous ego when we think we are somebody. I pointed out last week uh, two important words in verse 11 when Naaman said, I thought. I thought. How many times in our life have we thought God would do it this way? Or I thought, Lord, you would do it this way. The question I want to ask, when's the last time God asked for advice? And for Naaman, who told him to think anything? Elisha just told him what he needs to do. We know that in that culture, in that day and time, it was a horrible thing to get leprosy. It would be today as well. It was considered incurable unless God touched it. But it doesn't matter what disease you might have. I think our most important goal would be if it's the will of God to find healing for that disease. Whatever it takes. And wouldn't you agree that Naaman is at the mercy of Elisha? Wouldn't you agree that Naaman is certainly in no position to share his theory, his idea of how it ought to happen? What he needs is for it to happen. He needs healing to come. And like I said, all of us have been naming sometime in our life. Lord, I want this, but here's how I want it to happen. Here's my theory. Here's my idea. Let me give you my advice on how you need to perform your work. How arrogant can I be? Think about that. You see, the problem is when we think we're somebody. Isn't that true? And don't kid me, because I'm guilty of it. We at times want to think we're somebody. Amen? We want to see our name in the headlines for the good things, all right? But we want to think we are somebody. And that's Naaman's problem. Now, come on. He's the top general in the Syrian army. Surely that matters. Surely that would make people stand up and take notice of who he is. He's the kind of guy, if, if he raises his hand, the battle begins. Uh, kind of like the centurion when he met Jesus. He said, I tell people to go and they go. I tell them to come and come. They come. I tell my servant to do this. They do that. So Naaman was a man of authority. So all he has to do is say the word. And his commands would be obeyed. Now, I, I don't think we're far, I'm, I'm far from wrong with it, but I doubt he traveled by himself to Israel. I, I can't imagine the entourage of soldiers and attendants, horses and and camels that he had. 
I mean, if he rode a camel, he rode the latest, the newest model. It had all the bells and whistles. I mean, he had the best of the best. And, I mean, come on. That's got to prove. Surely, Naaman thought, I am somebody. And when Elisha hears that I've come, he'll feel like he's the one being blessed. But you know what the problem is? Somebody told him he was somebody and he believed it. Ever happened to you? It has to me. Chuck Swindoll tells a story many years ago. I heard him tell it. And he said one particular morning they had a, what he thought was a especially good service. And, and he said, man, on the, as I met the people at the door that, that morning, he said, people just one up and said, Pastor, what a great message. What a great time of worship it was. I mean, God has blessed you with the ability to give us his word. He said, man, I was just so pumped up. I mean, I was somebody. And they had small children, infants at the time. He said, as soon as I get home, I'm still thinking I'm somebody. And my wife says, Chuck, go change the baby's diaper. <laughs> that will kind of put the lid on your, on your glory, won't it? Go change the baby's diaper. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, look what it says. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I did a little bit of research on that verse, and I, without taking someone else's word for it, but the commentary said that the particular Greek words in that verse make a very strong contrast. What these people, these kind of people think about themselves contrast very sharply with what or who they really are. Now think about that. So a person's inflated self-image as something or somebody, that's what they're talking about. They think there's somebody noteworthy, somebody worthy of special attention because of who they are. The Bible says... What you think about yourself really has no value if the facts show that you are really nothing or nobody of any consequence. But Naaman didn't see himself that way. He thought he was somebody because somebody told him he was somebody and he believed it. Now, here's what amazes me. Do you realize not one thing about Naaman impressed Elisha? Think about that. Not one thing. Now, I don't think Elisha was necessarily cold-hearted. But Elisha would never bow down to anyone except God. Elisha realized that he himself was a servant of the Most High God. And that's what matters. Verse 12, after hearing the uh, strange instruction, look what Naaman says. Are not Abana 
and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? But notice the last sentence. So he turned and went away in a rage. What are you talking about, Elisha? On top of the fact you wouldn't even come out and meet with me, you send him a messenger, and now you're telling me to go and wash in the Jordan River. How absurd can you be, Elisha? Now, of course, Elisha's not there. He's just relaying his thoughts to those who get the message. Dipping in the Jordan seven times? Now, what I read was that, now keep in mind, Naaman had traveled to Syria to Samaria, and 25 miles from Samaria to the Jordan River. I mean, come on, Elisha, come out and wave your hand over me. Let's forget about the trip. It's a long day's journey, especially with that retinue he had. But also, <clears throat> now again, we, we can only assume this. Would you think tonight that as Naaman traveled, whatever he wore or had on would indicate his rank in the Syrian army? All the medals, all the trappings. I mean, he probably put on his dress uniform that day, whatever, you know. But all uh, who indicated who he was. But in order to wash in the Jordan River, he'd have to lay all that aside. If he had a sword, he surely put it down. He wouldn't go in that water with that. If he had a spear, probably handed somebody else, hold this, if you will. And again, if he's wearing special clothing, robes of a commanding general, he probably took those off as well, or would have taken those off as well. Any medals he had, they had to go. But here's the thing, folks. What he didn't realize was, if he was going to be healed, he had to become like everybody else. Just like everyone else else how many know it's a very difficult step for a proud man to take a difficult step but as he thinks about that if he has to <clears throat> dip seven times why not go back to syria why can't i dip in them I mean, water is water, and be cleansed. So our verse 12 says, he turned, and he leaves in a rage. So Naaman considered the rivers of Syria far superior to the river Jordan. And really, he had a good point. The Abana River was considered, or called by the Greeks and Romans, the River of God and the Golden River. From what I read, it's a beautiful river. 
The water is clear and it's cool. A perfect place for a swim or a perfect place for dipping seven times. Far better than a muddy Jordan. Anybody here ever been to the Jordan River? Anybody here? I should have called Dan. I know he went a couple of years ago. Uh, on my desk, I have a little vial that he bought over there. And it's supposed to be water from the Jordan River. Now, whether it is, I don't know. And uh, But anyway, I thought it was nice of him to, to, to bring it to me. But that water in that vial is very clear. There's no sediment in the bottom of it. At least I haven't noticed it yet. It's been a couple of years ago. But I did do some research this week on the Jordan River, and it's narrow, winding, and it's often muddy. And for the most part, it is very unimpressive as far as rivers go. Where I grew up and went to grade school at in high school, for the most part, was about 15 miles from the best baseball team in America. But when we went, do you hear me, Anna? When we went, we had to cross a river, the Mississippi, the mighty Mississippi River. Pam lived in, in farther south in Illinois, but she went too far as well. And my friend, the mighty Mississippi, that's a river. It is a river. Broad, deep, a mighty stream. And from what I read about the Jordan, if you compare the two, Rick would call the Jordan River a creek. Not very impressive. So what do you mean? Why not go back home to the river of God, the Golden River? A better place to dip. So what's our lesson for tonight? What's our, what do we take home from this? God does not make deals. As important as Naaman thought he was, how many know God didn't care what Naaman thought? But you know what I have to realize? God doesn't care what I think. Because God does not negotiate with sinners, and he doesn't negotiate with lepers. If we are going to come to God, we're going to come on his terms every time. He doesn't come to us and say, here's my will. What do you think about it? <laughs> what do you think about it? Do you like it? Does it meet your expectation? Now, if you'd rather, I'll come up with another plan if I need to. May I say tonight, when God comes to us with plan A, he doesn't have plan B in his pocket. There is no plan B. He doesn't make deals. Naaman is hurt. He's 
frustrated, he is embarrassed, and he's mad. But the problem is, it boils down to two choices. He can wash seven times in the Jordan River, or he can die of leprosy. The choice are you going to make? And Naaman, you can brag all you want about those rivers in Syria, but my friend, they're off the table. That doesn't matter. So off he goes in a rage. He's ready to take his entourage and head back to Dodge. One of the many things I've learned since being a child of God is that pride can make smart people do stupid things. By the way, what's the Bible say about pride? It comes before the fall. So think about Naaman's life. And, and no doubt about it, he probably thought his problem was leprosy. But we find out that's not his problem. His real problem, a bigger problem, is his pride. What are you talking about? The muddy Jordan River. Elisha gives him strange instructions, no doubt, but they were clear instructions. And his pride is not going to let him do what Elisha has instructed him to do. So his plan is, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going home just as sick as I was when I came. All because he couldn't swallow his pride. Thank God for people who are intelligent. Look at their question in verse 13 of his servants. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when all he says to thee is to wash and be clean. I think we get the picture here. Come on, master. If he asked you to walk a mile barefooted over nails through embedded through boards, you would have done it. If he'd have asked you for a large amount of gold or silver, you'd have gave you'd have given him that. And by the way, these servants hit the nail on the head. Why is it, for some reason, as sinners, we tend to think we have to have a part in our own salvation? Now, remember, Jesus paid it all. And when we sing that, we believe that, but yet we still, for whatever reason, we want to do something. 
We, we want to do something so we can at least feel like we had a part of whatever it was. But very few things are more humbling than hearing from God. There's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. Naaman couldn't believe his ears when Elisha said, go dip seven times in Jordan. And his servants, knowing how he was, indicated the fact that he probably wanted something significant so he could say, you know, I had a part in this. I did something to bring this healing. But how many know that God's grace doesn't work that way? Never has, never will. Now remember, God who knew who Naaman was because we're told in verse 1, by God's help, he was victorious over the enemies. God had a hand in that. But Naaman needed to learn a very valuable lesson, and we all need to learn it. We receive what God offers as a gift, or we don't receive it at all. There is no other way. So in verse 14, Naaman decides to comply. Look what it says. Then he went down, then went he down, and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Well, I think I need to give some credit to Naaman here. <clears throat> At least he listens to his sermons. And the fact of the matter, he's already there. And all Elisha has said, just dip seven times in the Jordan. So the argument the sermons made convinced Naaman to follow through with Elisha's strange instructions. Now we're not told specifically here, but as I read the account in verse 14, I do not believe that the healing came gradually. If I read correctly in verse 14, it came all at once. Get the picture. Again, we can only assume that Naaman came dressed in all the garb of a military commander. So he takes and removes all the evidence of his greatness. And he steps in to the Jordan River. And unless I've read it wrong, 
He dips one time, and he comes out, and he's still covered with leprosy. Second time, he goes under, comes out, still covered with sores. Third time, they're still there. Fourth time, nothing has changed. Fifth time, he still looks the same, no improvement. Six times, still a leper. Now remember, how many times he's supposed to do this? Seven. He's done it six times, and there's no evidence of change. And we don't know his thoughts. It could have been, am I being played for a fool here? Uh, is, is an, uh, are these people trying to embarrass me? The servers made have said, come on now, you've gone six times. What's one more time going to hurt? So he does. One more time, he goes into the water. And I can only imagine as that entourage is watching, their captain, as he dips in the Jordan. One, two, three, four, five, six, and no change. But the seventh time, and I don't know for sure, but surely there was a gasp in the crowd. The seventh time he dips in the water and the leprosy is gone. It is gone. The sores, the scabs, the scars, the disease is completely banished. The Bible says his skin became as smooth as that as a little child. How many know it was a mighty miracle? It was nothing less than an instantaneous working of the supernatural power of the God of the universe. The, incur the incurable disease had been cured by the hand of the Lord. Look what Naaman declares in the first part of verse 15. And he returned to the man of God. He and all of his company. And came and stood before him and he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but Israel. But Israel. By the way, you know who the man of God was. It was Elisha. When he had left Elisha's property earlier, he was mad at Elisha. 
And, of course, I know it had to be the hand of God, but I'm surprised he didn't kill him. I mean, after all, he was that commander. (laughs) But now he can't wait to go back. And he says to Elisha, there is no God but the God of Israel. Now, folks, that was quite a statement coming from somebody who was not a Jew. So not only did something happen on the outside, something happened on the inside. Now, you have to remember that most people, including the Jews of that day, thought that the gods were geographical. You know, God could be a God here, but he can't be a God there. Remember the battle when, the, the, you know, the enemy of Israel won, so the reason we got beat because God is, uh, you know, the God uh, of the mountain, not the God of the valley. But how many of the God is God everywhere? So whether or not he was a true believer, I'm not sure about that. He may have been. Now, we do know that later on he asked uh, Elisha, uh, to allow him to take some dirt back to Syria from Israel. Again, uh, their superstition about God being a geographical God. And so Naaman is quite grateful to Elisha for what he's done. We read the first part of verse 15 a moment ago. Look at the last part of it. Now, therefore, I pray thee, Take a blessing of thy servant. Why is it when God wants to give us something, we want to pay for it? And that's what Elijah, what name was trying to do for Elisha. He offers him money as a gift. Now, by the way, Elisha was a prophet of God. And I have no doubt he could have used the money. But look what he says in verse 16. As the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he, Naaman, urged Elisha, him, to take it. But he refused. Now think about this. Naaman says, let me give you a gift. You bless me, let me bless you. Elisha says, no thank you. As surely, as surely as I stand before the living God, I will not take a penny. How many know that the healing did not come from the water? And the healing did not come from Elisha. The healing came from the Lord. And Elisha knew that. He knew that. And it could be very probable that Elisha is thinking, you know what? 
I don't want Naaman to later on think about this. If I take that blessing he's offering, whatever it may have been, I don't want him to think that somehow he earned or he paid for his own healing. It's only by the grace of God. And here's what amazes amazed him, and I think amazes us today. Elisha did no healing. The water did no healing. But Naaman got his miracle, and it didn't cost him a penny. All by the grace of God. Some years ago, Pam and I went down just south of Lexington. It's been quite a while ago, and uh, we went down to a place called Shaker Town. Anybody ever been down there? Uh, they're no longer in existence because they didn't believe in having children. And so this kind of died out. And uh, we toured their village there, that what was left of it. Had some, a lot had been restored. And we enjoyed it quite a bit. But I read a couple of weeks ago there was an old Shaker hymn. And the title of the hymn was simply Simple Gifts. Simple gifts. And I googled that this week, and it, the first stanza begins with this. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. Good words. And how many know if Naaman was going to be healed... He had to come down off his high horse. He had to come down to where he ought to be if he ever hoped to be rid of his leprosy. But remember, there's a little bit of name in all of us. He had an inflated opinion about himself. He thought he was more important than he really was. And as long as he held on to that idea, he would have never been healed. Never. He had to come down to where he ought to be. And that means laying aside pride. And it means dipping himself seven times. In that Jordan River. And I think you realize tonight, until he did that, he would never have been healed. I think about this, folks. Whether it's Naaman's life or our life, surrendering is vitally important. And the problem is, we all struggle with surrendering. We have to learn, come to a place in our lives where we stop trying to run our own life and surrender to the will of the Lord. I 
How many here like being told what to do? Pam doesn't. I've learned don't do that. But none of us do. None of us. You know why? I want to be in charge of my own affairs. Don't tell me what to do. And that's why this whole idea of surrendering our ego and our pride to the Lord. Same was true with Naaman. At first it sounds so foolish, so strange. But how many know there's no other way to get better? There's not a plan B. No other way to be healed. No other way to be forgiven. No other way to find new life. Until we are willing to surrender our pride and our egos. I said earlier, Naaman had two choices. Either surrender to the Lord's will or die of leprosy. We've got two choices. We can fight the Lord or we can surrender everything to his control. Lord, here am I. And you talk about an enigma. The Bible is clear. Whenever we fight, we lose. But when we surrender in faith, we win. I don't know about you, but the sad thing in my life is taking way too long to learn that basic truth. Simply surrender to God. Now, by the way, thank the Lord for naming the story because it's our story as well. And the great thing about this story is as mad as Naaman was at first, as, as at first he refused to surrender, and what he doesn't realize, he's going to come to a time where he'll find out that the first thoughts he had about this was wrong. And the great news is, when we realize that our thoughts are wrong, it's never too late to change our mind. Naaman changed his mind. So as long as there is life, as long as there is breath, there's an open door to God, an open door to repentance and change. But my friend, that door is open. And if we're going to go through it, we have to take that first step. Let's all stand. Wow, what a story. What a God. What a God. Now, by the way, I hope you've read the rest of the story. Elisha had a greedy servant. And he thought, well, you know, Elisha, you didn't take it, but why will? How many know what happened to that one? He got the disease that Naaman had because of his greed.
But I'm glad we serve a God who cares about our needs. A God who, when we come, he doesn't reject us. He receives us just as we are. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful tonight. God, is for who you are. We're thankful for grace, Lord, because without your grace, no one could ever be saved. Father, I pray that even as we walk with you, now that we are saved, we would not allow pride to build up in our lives that we might miss some of the blessings that you have in store for us. Father, help us even today to yield every part of our life to you and trust you for the results. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.